in a world full of straight people. Aren't you glad there's Wow Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to Wow Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. I'm Matt McConkie. I'm a writer, actor, and podcaster, but my main thing is that I'm a gay man who loves sex in the city. I know, did you ever hear of such a thing? And with my overwhelming excitement for season two of And Just Like That, I couldn't help but wonder, should I do a podcast about this? The answer, of course, is no. But my dream was to sit down with my very own Mirandas and Charlottes and Che Diaz's to unpack the stories and themes of the show. My dream was to start a conversation, a community, a movement to bring back Samantha. And just like Matt, my dream came true. Okay, it's episode one of this show, and we're going to be discussing episode one of And Just Like That, season two. But before we do, how do I begin to explain to you my connection to the Sex and the City multiverse? I guess I could start by breaking down my own astrological signs, but, you know, I'm obviously a Carrie Sun with a Miranda Moon and Charlotte Rising. Or I could give you my shocking take on the Sex and the City movie sequel. I liked it. Or I could pitch you my fanfiction spec script I wrote. Okay, here's the logline. Samantha Jones has moved to a new city with new friends, new men, and a big new secret. She's a vampire. It's called Samantha Does London, and strangely, it's still available. But maybe I should just leave the sex in the city writing to Michael Patrick King. He's not only the writer, director, executive producer of Sex and the City and Just Like That, he's also the host of the show's official Writer's Room Companion podcast. Now, last year, he was kind enough to join us on Homophilia, the podcast I host with Dave Holmes. But when I saw this season two premiere episode, I so wished I could talk to him one more time just to do a full recap with the man who wrote and directed it. And, you know, I might have also had a question or two about the whole Kim Cattrall thing. But surely he's too busy. You know, this isn't a man who's running around guesting on podcasts willy-nilly. But I decided to go ahead and shoot my shot and see if there was any chance he'd consider talking to me again. And just like Matt, Michael Patrick King is here. Where do we find you today? I'm in a uh, LTW's bathroom. No. (laughs) Her epic walk-in closet. I am actually in a, a apartment I've been living in all of season two or in just like that in New York. So we're recording this like a week before the premiere of season two. How are your spirits right now in this moment, knowing you still have sort of a week of, of buildup? I'm thrilled. I'm really excited. I'm happy to be talking to you who I feel is a, a, a heart for our show when i heard you were doing a podcast called and just like matt i was like of course he is sign me up i have watched you decipher defend uh (laughs) delight in season one from uh from my ears and i have uh greatly appreciated it the respect and the also reverence but also the well let's just wait and see what they do that's Which right. Isn't, isn't necessarily uh, the the common reaction to anything. So I appreciate it. And I really like what we did. 
And so I'm uh, excited that, you, that everyone gets to see it. I mean, I've seen them all. I've done them all. I've edited them all. And now the first seven are out in the world to people. And there's still four more big ones to come. So I'm really happy, um, said the man about to run into a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when this comes out, it will be the day after the premiere. So if we imagine that it's, you know, let's say day of premiere, let's say it's June 22nd. How are you spending your day and what headspace are you in on that day? I actually don't know what to do with my time today because I didn't kill anybody on the show last night. So there's um, really just hours of just downtime where I don't have to manage people's feelings or walk people in off ledges. So I'm, I'm just a free, free child today. I, I'm actually uh, curious and, and excited because I wanted the tone to be different than last year. I also, you know, for me, the tone of last year was so necessary in order to return to the tone of this year. Yeah. My whole feeling about, and just like that, is that in the first episode of last year, I broke Sex in the City. I smashed it on the floor and I said, rom-coms that you were expecting, this isn't it. Here is a surprise, which is a miracle that that ever was maintained. I don't know how. I think you only get one, considering there's already a leak that I don't want everybody to know. I guess you only get one real surprise kept in a career. But um, I really was excited to have Carrie go through that entire underworld journey, that dark winter. I think of season one as a winter, and I think of season two as a spring. And already I'm getting reactions that people say, you know, it's it's like Sex in the City again. And I I really think it's more that we're returning Carrie to herself after a loss. It's like, you know, I believe that people feel that she's their friend if oh, they watch deeply. the show. They think she's their friend. So this is like watching your friend go through something sad and start to come back to life. And so... I think it's exciting for people because they feel Carrie's okay. And for me and the writers, this year really was very simple, Credo. Life's too short. Hmm. And it's more about living and experiencing life. And Carrie has not gone through that massive change and catastrophic death to come out of it without a new point of view. And that is sort of infused through the whole season. I mean, if last year was an opera, this year feels like jazz to me. I mean, I I like I like that it's a little looser. I like it's a little more freewheeling. I like that it goes a lot of places. And our goal was to infuse it with a, a life. And the other goal was to bring the new characters off their individual runways. So it's not just Carrie and Seema and Charlotte and LTW and Miranda and Naya and find ways to get them all in each other's world over this season. And I mean, I'm telling you, the writing room was like, you know, you see those um, movies where the detectives are chasing out what a serial killer would do. And you see all the red yarn going from this connection to that connection, to this connection, to that connection. Our writing room was like, okay, LTW to Naya. Naya can get then to Charlotte. Charlotte can get Carrie there because I wanted it to be um, a group of friends. Yeah. And 
I understand the complexity of season one. You've known Naya for 20 minutes. You've known Miranda for 20 years. So I think the fun for us and hopefully the fun for the audience is you get to meet these new people. And the more you know someone, the more you think they're funny or you start to look forward to seeing them. You meet somebody for the first time, you're like, what's that story? Who are you? What's that sense of humor? I don't get it. You see them like three times, you're like, oh, they're a riot. And then you start to invest in wanting seeing them again and again. So I'm excited. I feel happy about it. Yet there are um, some unexpected, you know, mix and matches right out the gate. We're seeing, you know, Seema and Anthony are sitting down together on their own. And uh, yeah, and, and there's, you know, going to continue to cross over, as you said, but you you have resisted, at least from the jump, a scene where now all six or seven, depending who you're counting, are sitting down at brunch together. Yeah. Uh, look, the thing we we wanted to do last year that was important to us that we got kind of flack for was the introductory aspect of it. But we, you know, like meeting someone, oh, this person is Miranda's teacher and sh she's woke and therefore you have to deal with exposition and stuff but what we didn't want to do was like do a card trick and tell people like oh yeah they've known these people before like you had to meet them so we had to have the ladies meet them because we didn't want to pull any fast ones and as you just noticed we didn't just go and now they're all together yeah because i think that people believe that this is kind of a real world and we believe it in the writing room. So we're like, okay, what can we do that will eventually get maybe all of them together in a realistic way in this fantastical situation? You know, there's obviously so much chatter in the world over everything in the Sex and the City universe. And and there was over, over season one and everyone's got a, you know, a, a red hot take over what, uh, what, you know, the show did right or, or, or didn't. Um, and there are a lot of instances in this season where it almost feels like you're in conversation with that audience directly. You know, you're, you're, you're addressing, you're addressing some of those things head on. And one of them is, is as you said, the, you know, the new characters are now um, driving their own story. We're invested in them in a whole new way because of the way we met them in season one. Um, but it's also the cold open is a montage of every everybody's fucking, you know, everybody's getting laid except for, of course, Naya, who's watching people get laid on TV. But, you know, right out the gate, the message is clear. If anybody who complained that they missed the sex uh, last season, the sex is back. And even to d down to the smallest detail, uh, like when Carrie's recording her podcast with Franklin, at one point she says just offhandedly, next voicemail, Franklin, which I am assuming is addressing that's a, interesting. A that's a direct address to you. No. And... And Dave, I, it's the one thing you're like, come on, no one does call-ins. And I can still hear Dave going, ah, no, come on, that's bullshit, or whatever he said on, on the podcast. And I was like, yeah, that is bullshit. Let me fix that. So I, for, I, I, it bothered me that people thought it was inauthentic. And the reality is, um, if you get a chance to autocorrect, realign the spine, duress 
address. I meant to say address and mm. duress came out. So that'll tell you address the duress of an experience that the audience is having both good and bad. And you're aware of it. I mean, when we talked last, I said that I was aware of the polar swings and liking to hating the show and that I didn't follow it on social media, but it gets in, it yeah. creeps in. It's like mold. It comes in, you know, it's, you said a red hot take, you mean a red hot poker. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a, it's a thing. And so there were a couple of things in my mind that I wanted to address. And the smallest of them you just addressed was that it's a voice message. And I did my research and we always try to pin the reality of something and then create it. And the place I went was the Sarah Silverman podcast where people would call in with their conversations and then she would respond to them as though they were listening. So yeah. I thought, there, we can do that. And it's a small adjustment, but it is a little bit of an adjustment if you're a purist about podcasts. But there are countless examples of both. There are podcasts where you know people can call in and you can talk to them live. I mean, you're recording it, obviously, but you can, you can interact with them. There are tons where people are calling with voicemails. So yeah, I mean, people were poking holes unnecessarily there, but now there's an ironclad you know, a uh, way of addressing oh, well, there, that. You know, it's fiction. So there's ironclad reality is that yeah. now she has a podcast called, I don't know how many episodes you're talking about right now, but now she has a podcast called Sex in the City, which was a giant thrill as writers to have her look directly into the camera at the end of season one of In Just Like That and then just meta, meta, meta go. And this is sex in the city. Mm -hmm. And it's so much fun because it kind of blows your mind that she's now referencing the thing that everybody wants this to be, but it isn't. And she's calling it back as her newspaper column, not as a television series that was on HBO. She's referencing her newspaper column that was in the New York star. And now that's what happens. Paper becomes podcasts. But so for us, it was like, okay, we have a podcast. Well, let's end it. We always sort of try to do, you know, with men on Sex in the City, we would always try to, we'd get rid of the one-offs a week before people were ready. Like we got rid of Burger before, like two weeks before people were like, get rid of him. I always try to get a little bit ahead back in the day of, I'm sick of him. I would rather hear people go, what? What yes. happened? I'd rather us go like, no, goodbye. And then you're left wanting more. And I was like, let's end the podcast. Let's end it. And let's have it go away. And let's have Chloe be crazy. Because it isn't, as Chloe says, the podcast heyday of 2021. I mean, <laughs> there's so many. It's like everything now. It's not a gold rush anymore. It's like, oh, that well's still pumping. That one's still pumping. A few people are rich and the rest is just noise. Yeah. But some of us are just barely hanging on to that uh, boom still years afterward. I don't but... think so. And just like Matt, I don't think so. But the reality that's also the most death defying thing, and we talked about it in the writing room a lot, is in episode two when Carrie's in the real deal with Charlotte. And they're Charlotte's trying to argue to get this dress back. And she eventually says, I don't even know if Lily would fit in it anymore. And Carrie's giving her advice and then says, but I, what do I know? I'm still trying to hold on to sex in the city. And I don't know if it fits me anymore. Hmm. 
that is false. What did That's you feel false. about that when you heard her, Matt? What did you feel when you heard her say I, that? Uh, God, I, I, I thought the same thing. I thought that is really ballsy. And I thought the podcast is probably going away. And I'm excited about that. Not because I didn't love the podcast, but because I know it means that's going to open up something else creatively for her. And, you know, we're, we're, my husband and I are watching this like with such a magnifying glass, overanalyzing every line. And there's a throwaway joke about final draft. And we're like, is she going to write a screenplay? Does it, she has, she has final draft on her laptop now. Was that her laptop? Was that Franklin's laptop? So, yeah, it just all, me excited. I apologize to your husband for having to obsess like a, a mad scientist over every detail with you, unless oh, he's really not at all. He's right there in the trenches with me. Oh, great. Big time. Um, so you mentioned the leak. Uh, we should just get this out of the, the way uh, off the top. Obviously, you're not going to tell us anything story-wise about the leak, but how did you feel about the way that that news, obviously I'm talking about Kim Cattrall appearing in the final episode. How did you feel about the way that that news rolled out? The word leak is accurate. It was not intended to roll out. It was a leak from the pipeline that we had really battened down. I mean, there was the New York Post had that information for three weeks and we actually, page six, and we actually begged them to not release it. And miraculously, out of respect, they said they wouldn't unless someone else was going to leak it and then they would release it. And like I was in the post, we were working, all of a sudden the phone blew up. It was like, it's being released by, I think it's Variety. Variety is releasing it right now. And I was like, what do you mean they're releasing? It's already gone. It's gone. You know, it was like, it happened in a second. And then the page six went out with it. And so there was really nothing we could do about it, except say, like, I heard, like, why did people ruin it for us? And why? That's so sad. And then people were like, oh, is it a trick? Is it something that's only a manipulation? Did it really happen? Did it not happen? So I don't know how it leaked, but I know it wasn't by our design. I really wanted the audience to be watching the show and Carrie's phone rings and she looks at it. And instead of a text, you see the word Samantha and you're like, this isn't happening. Is this happening? Yeah. This can't be happening. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful little treat and it's magical how it happened. I'm not sure how it happened. I believe that the fans created it somehow in a manifest, man, manifestation of a desire because it what didn't start the season with, I got a big surprise for everybody. I wasn't thinking of it. And all of a sudden some plate shifted, maybe something around the 25th anniversary of Sex in the City, maybe something happened where all of a sudden I was able to actually see Samantha rather than text Samantha. And I truly mean, I think magic happened from somewhere because there's no logical progression to make that happen. It just happened. And then you found out about it, which is the only bad news that you found out about it. But you don't know anything about when, why, or how. I don't. And it leaves me guessing. And uh, yeah, in, in a way that is going to be part of the fun of watching the entire season. Because then it also 
makes I mean obviously people have seen episode one by now that what what we also don't do in episode one is have Carrie spell out for us what happened in that dinner that she had with her in Paris last season when we le- when we left her. No, I think the interesting thing from the writing point of view about Anne just like that is Carrie doesn't spell anything out for anybody. If this was Sex in the City, she would be have an overview of it, and she would have said by now. Literally, she would have whispered into your ear as the audience. You never know what's going to happen. Like when I met Samantha, we had this and da, da, da. And it already happened in the past. Carrie in Sex in the City was aware of it all and sort of retelling it. So it felt safer. And then when we did end just like that and there was no guide, no one saying I survived this, it agitated people in a way they were disoriented because it felt a little bit more freewheeling and you were going from Carrie didn't know where she was going so how could she have an overview yet that was not the point the point was to open a character up and knock her for a loop so you know if this was sex in the city you would have known what happened and whether we decide to tell you in the future or not it's up to us but I do believe in my sex in the city for friends they still exist in and just like that. Those four people still exist and communicate, whether you see it or not. There's tons of things Carrie, Carrie does that you don't see. Yeah. I mean, she eats breakfast. You haven't seen that much. She goes for, I don't know, to have her shoes reshold. You don't see that scene. So there are many times, in my opinion, that they connect, connected like they did in first season of And Just Like That with texts. So it's just a, it's just a treat. Enjoy. God, I can't. I, I, excitement is. You're one of the, the people who manifested. Because when I was on the show way back in the day last year, you were like, "I'm holding out hope." I think you even went, "I'm holding out hope," and I was like, "Matt." <laughs> the, my joke about this when we started to launch it was that this was all a mission to bring back Samantha, and now we've had to sort of recalibrate that joke to now it's a mission to bring back Samantha full time for season three. No, well, we good. You are a very empty. strong manifester. So that, that'll be some heavy lifting, but you apparently already manifested one visitation. So we'll see. I'm, I'm very, I'm glad to take credit for this. Um, I think it's you. You're too kind. I, I mean, another big question sort of looming as season two opens is how Stanford's absence is going to be addressed. Because in, you know, at the, at the end of season one, we learned, you know, we talked about this on homophilia, um, and I'm sure everyone knows, but Willie Garson died tragically while you were shooting season one, and he had to quickly sort of write him off that he, you know, decided to uh, go to Japan, leave Anthony, not say goodbye to Carrie because it was, it would be too heartbreaking. And so, you know, what I did know going in is we're not going to start season one with the death of Stanford because it's, we just, after what we, I mean, we're not going to start season two with the death, death of Stanford because of the way we started season one. Um, you know, well, because first of all, it's tragic enough that in real life, Willie died. Yeah. And you know, the great thing about the Mr. Big death is that it was fiction and it was really, it's a great writing tool to put a, fake death in a fiction because the audience can touch it and it's not real to them and it's not tragic it's just 
like they get to press on the sad wound that they have for everybody that they've lost, but it's not real. It's not their loss. And they get to watch Carrie be strong and feel things and feel for her. So the idea of the tragic loss of Willie to us isn't at all fictional. It's very real. And I also personally didn't want Stanford to be dead. I think that there is this, we did this, he's in Japan with a TikTok person. He, this ridiculous sort of not so far fetched that Stanford would have some girl from Long Island who's blown up on TikTok doing a world tour of Japan and Germany and whatever. So I liked the idea of he's out in that multi-sex in the city universe. He's over there somewhere. You know, there's many dimensions of this and, uh, I did want to keep him alive in the first episode by saying she's in that gorgeous kimono that Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago found. And she says, this was given to me by my friend Stanford, who's in Japan, from Japan. So as far as I'm concerned, he's still alive and he's picking out amazing gifts and sending it across, I guess, FedEx to Carrie Bradshaw in New York City. Yeah, I do like to think of him that way. Yeah. Why not? Um, and uh, there's no reason for him to go away any more than there is for your friends you haven't seen in a while. But there is a need to respond. I didn't want to ignore it. Just like in the very first scene with Carrie and Charlotte, she immediately mentions Samantha by saying, how big is this dick? I'm being Samantha. I mean, they exist. You talk about your friends all the time, whether they're there or not. You're like, oh, my God, Stanford would say this or Stanford would do this. Plus, his uh, estranged husband, Anthony, is still floating around. So there's still a connectiveness to that character, an active one with Mario's character, Anthony Marantino. And so I believe it. I mean, here's the joke. I believe it all. I, I try to believe it all. I try to make you believe it all. We we treat the writing room like it's a jury room. We bring up stories and we argue them based on our different points of view, the amazing writers that I work with. And then we bring you our best shot at what might entertain shock or make you mad or bewilder you. And one of our thrusts this year was Miranda and Shay. Because the thing that we did here, which I thought was so interesting, was that that's not Miranda. That's not my Miranda. My Miranda is smart. My Miranda doesn't stumble publicly and embarrass themselves. My Miranda doesn't leave Steve, who everybody is in love with so much that Steve is obviously the sexiest man alive now in most people's minds, Steve, you cannot kick Steve. So I always thought, well, that's my Miranda. She's an anarchist. If you look at sex and the city, not sex in the city on E, which yeah. was cut apart and sanitized and lovely and charming and kept the whole thing alive for a while. Miranda was always burning down the house. She'd go on two dates with someone and get and tell them off. She asked questions like, why do I have to dress for a man? Why do I have to do anything? Why are we always talking about this? She didn't want to even marry Steve. He like dragged her. And, the, and then the wedding was in a park with like seven people. She, 
<laughs> she wasn't what you imagined in your own retelling of Miranda to those people who are happily or still married. That's not what it was. And so our idea of like Miranda was like return to, you know, people go through phases. Miranda was consumed by lust or wonderlust or in love with the new idea of who she could be. And she's, she followed it. And that's the thing we loved. And now she's following that feeling to LA, which we all know Miranda in sitcom Pilotville, LA is hilariously, potentially hilarious and comic. I mean, she's returned to her red hair and she's battling in the first episode, both those Mirandas. She calls Naya and she's like, I love the salsa and it's great sex and the and the the sensory deprivation tank. And within five minutes, she's like, it's the new me. And then she's like, fuck the new me. <laughs> and we love that Miranda's already fucking saying, fuck me for doing this. I'm not this person. And I like the idea of Miranda and Che on a honeymoon in the Garden of Eden. I mean, that's why it looks so flora and fauna. I mean, it is like perfect LA. Yeah. Her little honeymoon cottage, sunny pool, sex in the pool, and sex then in the hot tub, starts, huh? Sex in the hot tub. Oh yeah, they're having sex. Let's get back All to over. the sex. You mentioned the sex. It was oh, yeah. deliberate. It was by design, but it was because Carrie had the impulsive moment that after she released Big's ashes, there was just an impulse. After she said in her podcast. Life is full of surprises. Nothing is written. And then she kisses Franklin, who is by design, always like just floating in the background. So people would go, who's that hot extra? And then, I mean, when I hired Ivan Hernandez to play it, I go, you know, you'll be an extra for like two episodes. And people will just go, he's too hot to just be in the (laughs) background. And they had their eye on him. Like, that's not normal to have. Some why are they giving camera time to that hot guy that doesn't have any lines? And eventually he came forward and he sort of saw Carrie and then gave her a compliment and saw her and they kissed in the elevator. So, you know, once you paint yourself into a corner, you have to do something. And my philosophy is don't walk over the paint you just painted, but try to find a way to go up the wall. So Carrie jumping into bed with Franklin, come on. It's so un. It's perfect. It's and she's having you know exit out of grief sex with this very specific type of man who is obviously incredibly handsome, incredibly sweet. Um, and what type of man do you find him at to be? I'm serious. Like what well, t- I, when you said this type of man, what do you mean by that? He reminds me of a couple guys that I dated who were so perfect on paper. Obviously Carrie's experience of this is very, is complicated by where she is in the greeting process, but taking even, even aside from that, this is someone who is just so decent and seemingly without an edge and, you know, smart and and pleasant and a good time. Again, very hot, maybe not the funniest person, um, well, by design with, again. By design, he's oh, making of course. the lamest writing. Like he is not a creative being, and that was was so exciting for us to create this as as uh, 
she tells Miranda, filthy, dirty Tracy Hepburn writing team. Mm. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's not Carrie's vibe to be in bed That's with not. someone trying to spitball. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I'm a big therapy person. I would say for me, the greatest benefit of therapy, if I can look back at all of the years that I have spent in therapy, has been changing the way that I speak to myself internally. You know, everybody always says like, you have to treat yourself the way that you would treat a friend. That's much easier said than done. So many of us are our own worst critics and it 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 takes some 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 help to untangle that. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's entirely online. So it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash like Matt today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash like Matt. You know, this show is all about honest conversations where we, we really face our fears. And for some of us, it's a fear of aging. For some of us, it's a fear of carbs. And hey, I get it. The fear is real. But that is why I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Hero Bread. Hero Bread has remade many of your favorite foods, but in these fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. Two of my favorite things. I've always said, if I ever have twin children, their names are going to be protein and fiber. What did I have for lunch today? A tuna sandwich on their seeded bread. It was the perfect texture. It toasts up just like a dream. My God, was it good. And right now, if you go to hero.co and use code like Matt, you will get 10% off your first order. So don't give up on being a breadhead because Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co, use code like Matt at checkout. That's like Matt at H E R O dot C O. And, uh, and he's no burger in that sense, you know? No. Like, uh, uh, it, he's very honest and, yes. and open and uh, clear. And the, this reminds me of a couple relationships I had where if I look back, the truth was it wasn't that I, I didn't like these people. It was that I kind of just wanted it to be sex. And I felt that that was too um, callous to say out loud. And so instead it becomes a relationship, but it's not, I'm not really connecting to that person in that way. But Carrie's journey in this episode is getting to a place where she can say, you know, is it okay if we just stick to our Thursday plan. And yeah. again, that's obvious. Again, you know, so connected to where she is. Well, also stage someone of said to me when he was, had the cooking show on, someone already said to me, oh man, put the, put the show away. You've got a gorgeous woman in bed with you. Why are you watching cooking? And I was like, why do you not think that's the perfect thing for Carrie? Just nothing important. Just why it's better than sitting there trying to make a relationship. You're watching a cooking. You're, and by the way, the first line that you hear after the montage is nice piece of meat coming mm -hmm. out of that cooking. 
morning show. It's a nice piece of red meat. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there are some times in relationships where it's honest. He's just like being like, I watch cooking shows and he knows she's not ready to, well, there's not love. They just had sex. They're comfortable. It's great. And it's, people are already going like, you're blowing it, man. (laughs) Are you? Or is it the thing that's keeping you there, the computer open and just comfortable, comfortable after violent. And it's a big enough thing. Like she said to Charlotte, Oh, and here we are. We're back in the carry world. Should she be doing it? Should she not be doing it? And I'm sure there are people going to go, what are you crazy? Why are you literally kicking Franklin out of bed? And then there'll people who go, get out of her bed. He's not for you. I mean, it's, it's so much fun. And when you have actors like Ivan, he gives you that argument. Hot, sexy, smart, sweet, cares about supporting her. And then for some reason, the audience is like, wrong. And then Carrie's like, even to her friends, like, this is okay. Even Bobby Lee, played Jackie, played by Bobby Lee, says like, oh man, Carrie Bradshaw. And he, by the way, you'll notice he always says her full name, Carrie Bradshaw. Carrie Bradshaw, you know, it's a lot different since you were out there. Men, you, you can't just objectify people anymore. I mean, yeah. a guy telling Carrie Bradshaw what she's doing is wrong because he's a man and men have feelings too. That's evolution in the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think most people listening probably already know that there is a, and just like that official writer's room podcast, uh, that you host. So again, very honored for you to be here doing double duty when you have your own, your own podcast. Well, I hope it's not overstated double duty. There's still some new things I haven't said and Uh, I'm happy to say them to you. I have a question for you and I, I, and I know you, I know you're going to have your coterie Mm -hmm. of smart co-hosts go over this are you going to like go immediately to them after they've seen the show will you have a pre-conversation will they be seeing it live will it be thought about like how, what's your plan they will you're already res- you've already seen stuff nobody has seen yes uh which is a, is a great honor and and there's something even more exciting about seeing the little moments that are unfinished the little you know a face a facetime conversation where the the the, the facetime image isn't in there yet you know it feels like I'm, you know, I'm just Backstage. getting a glimpse behind the curtain that is, is th- I'm, f- I'm flying almost too close to the sun. But, <laughs> you know, my, uh, my other guests will receive a, uh, you know, a, a confidential link to a screener of the episode that we're going to discuss so that they can see it a, a couple. So we have time to record uh, and edit it and then release Right after that you episode, you mean you won't be perfect, perfectly unedited. You'll just you'll you'll actually tailor it for somebody's. I, I mean, our, our, this our whole conversation brief. is going to come down to me saying, "Good luck with your show," and that'll be all you. <laughs> I'm just going to pull out the sound bites where you complimented me, but um, I do want to ask you a question, and you yeah. can use it or not use it. What was your reaction to the beginning of the Che storyline? Che season? in L.A. Yeah, I. What I really loved about the Chase storyline, and and some of this is is yet to come for listeners, but is that don't 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 spoil it because I won't spoil anything. Just talk about even in one. Just the but the, just the idea of Chase doing a 
um, a pilot and being um, put under the microscope, much like Che Diaz has been for the world and the ways that that allows you to talk about the Che Diaz, uh, you know, place in the zeitgeist um, in a really smart way that kind of parallels it. Um, and yeah, there, there's a lot more to come from that. But I loved seeing Che's vulnerability in a new way. I loved that their issue had nothing to do with um, wanting to fuck other people, which is what you know we might have expected. It's it's literally that Che has been kind of body shamed by the costume department on the pilot, uh, and it's not really going well. And that has you know, they've internalized that a bit and now don't want to be hugged by Miranda. Yeah. I mean, the the reaction when you said you feel like you're talking to the audience sometimes, you feel like we're talking to the the the, the reaction to the audience. And what was so um, curious to me was that I kept asking people when I would get an ear that I wanted to hear what they had to say, like, what was the problem? What, why? And they would say, so, you know, and I asked a lot of non-binary standups, particularly what the deal was, because there was like a, like a harsh reality coming from a lot of people. But I was like, I used to be a standup. I'm interested in standup, just like you who did the podcast, you and Dave said, "Ah, come on, nobody calls in. When I started to hear comics saying that the material that Che did in the Netflix special wasn't good or wasn't funny, I was immediately like, have you seen the last three important minutes of any Netflix special? They are polemic. They are, they are dogmatic. They are Ted talks. They are Ted talks. They're like so polished and slick and confident. So for some reason, the comics that I was talking to or reflecting around this with, they were all like, cocky, too sure of themselves, fake. And then they would say, oh, and I know Chase. I know a lot of Chase. And I would go, wait a minute. You know Chase. Chase exists in the world. So what we're reflecting is not some theatrical trumped up fake character, but an egotistical rising stand-up who has created themselves to be their ticket to the top. So they were like, yeah, I I just don't like them. And I was like, okay, so it's what we wrote you're responding to. So this idea that somebody's one thing, and I started the Chase story this year with the idea about don't judge a book by the cover. And I thought that the cover of Che last year was really harshly judged, the cover. And it was only after the fingering in episode five. The first two episodes, Che was kind of being responded to as like a hero. Like, oh, this cool, new, funny, strong being who's in the elevator with Carrie and tells her to step her pussy up. And then it's funny and no one ever said that. And then at the funeral, they show up and they hand Gloria Biggs, elderly secretary, a a handkerchief. And it's this heroic thing. And they're hanging out and they like Miranda. And the minute it became, now Miranda's going to fuck Steve over. 
people had their their things. So the cover was harshly judged. So I thought this season, as we always try to do with every character, even the ones you've known 20 years, what's the new chapter? Open the book. So we wanted to say, okay, what's the opposite of cocky and sure of himself and um, confident and uh, bravura is vulnerable, like you said, and that's the word you went for. And trust me, anybody can be made vulnerable by the Hollywood machine. God, that's very true. I mean, you come out from me and I, I used to be a stand-up, and I done comedy pilots, helped on stand-ups pilots. And the first thing the network does, God love the idea that this is a network sitcom with Tony Danza. I mean, that to me is like, I got everything I wanted for Christmas to get Tony Danza who can magically make this feel real. Yeah. It, uh, but the idea that ABC is going to tell Che how to be non-binary through the mirror of Abby who plays BD it just felt really complicated to me and really fun and a great way to explore vulnerability and also a journey because Miranda's the last TV, like she doesn't have a lot of artist friends mm-hmm. except for Carrie who's self, you know, self-cleaning oven. She's just over there doing her whole thing. She doesn't need a lot of people saying, did you read my book? Do you like it? Miranda's a lawyer. So I'm curious. I'm happy you said vulnerable because and Sada Ramirez can play anything. So it was really fun for us to give everybody, all the new characters, something new to play. So I know you'll talk about this a lot on your own podcast, but tell me a little bit about the changes in the writer's room between season one and two and and what the conversations were like when you were first sitting down talking about, you know, these are the things that we know we need to address. Here's what's, here's what's, you know, non-negotiable for season two. When you know you've been in writer's rooms and the, and the biggest mistake I think you can make on a series writer room is to close the doors and lock the doors and say, okay, we're the only people who know how to write this and nobody comes in and no new people. And it's a pond and there's no, it's stagnant. So I always go like, okay, what's the new stream? Who else can we get in? And, you know, people's careers go in different directions and we lost two writers last year And we got Susan Fales Hills to join us last year, who was writing her novel. We couldn't get her last year and we got her this year. And so it's Samantha Irby, Susan, Julie, and Elisa. And then we brought in two younger writers, in quotes. Um, We we elevated uh, two writing assistants, two actual writers, and gave them scripts this year, which was thrilling because the process works. If it works, if you're in the right frame of mind you can move people up and they can excel and then they're on the floor and they're learning how it works and it's everything the writers guild is trying to get in installed as a as a part of a point of purpose but uh so the writing room this year started with a new stream in we had jess henderson who's a who's a non-binary stand-up came in to visit us a couple of times for that experience and also what we got out of that was there's no one way to be non-binary, which is, of course, something that we implement in the show right away, that there's so many different ways to be an individual now. So the writing room was excited. And we were, of course, laughing about the idea that people were going to be saying 
oh, they got scared and now they're doing sex in the city and oh, Che's vulnerable. And we would, I would stand up and throw the fingers at the TV and go, this is what's going to happen. Now I'm supposed to care. You know, it's very active and it's very smart and it's very funny and the experience. And the main goal of all of us was to, again, put our personal lives on the table. Like I lost my phone on the beach when I was cleaning it up once. So there's Miranda's story. And Susan had a lot of input in the, she is an amazing New York character. She's black and she's both high fashion and lowbrow comedy. So she was great. And she brought a lot to all the characters, but we wanted to really open the accordion of who Naya is, who LTW is, more on SEMA, and show other sides of Che. So the writing room was fun. And we started and we were kind of, we knew where we were going. And yet we still took little side trips. We knew the beginning and the end, with the exception of the surprise we already talked about. We didn't know that. And then we just go, what if over here is happening? And we need love interest for this one. And what about this one? And hey, the first thought we had was, look how many single people we have suddenly. Yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Like suddenly, Carrie, Naya, uh, Seema, Miranda in quotes, and Che in quotes. Eventually, they're not married. None of these people are married. Anything's up. Uh, Anthony, uh, there's a lot of single people. And we thought, well, that's fun. So let's chase the ways you can be single at this age in New York. Yeah, as you alluded to, we're recording this during the writer's strike. We're like a month and a half in right now. Obviously, you're busy promoting the show, but otherwise, you are somewhat limited in what you can do creatively. But how are you spending your time? Well, I am, first of all, the show is mercifully written and finished by the time this. The, the strike started. So we all participated in the WGA guidelines and the rules because I've been a writer in the Writers Guild for over 33 years, a card carrying, dues paying, proud member. So we always respected that. And we all want everyone to get paid fair wages. And as I said, our experience was very pro WGA rules. Yeah, Let's promote people. We had more than six writers. So what I've been doing is walking around New York a lot and sort of just taking notes on things. If there's more story coming, I have some ideas in my mind. We haven't been talking about writing, but I've been living in New York and, you know, doing what I can do as a director. I'm allowed as a DGA member to finish my cuts, which I did, and they were all finished. And uh, then I just watched the show get produced and polished by John Melfi, who's our executive producer. So it sounds, I mean, obviously nothing is set in stone. It is not officially renewed, but it sounds like we, I, I have the freedom to be optimistic about a season three. I mean, look, we had a lot of fun and the people seem to be responding to the show so far as though it's fun. And, you know, look, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, and we all know it, we who work on the show know this. It's very rare to have anyone's attention at all nowadays. It's impossible to have a brand that breaks through or a show that people have even cared enough about to argue about. 
you know, the idea that there's 5,000 shows from many, many countries around the world that you can spend your time watching. I mean, I'm still like, I get chills when I see something that says the fourth season finale of something. And I, I don't even know what they're talking about. So I'm very grateful that there's a focus still on this particular group of characters in this world. And um, so I'm doing everything I can to keep energy around it. That means it's worth exploring more. I, I, again, I will go everywhere and say, it's so rare. We just had the 25th anniversary of Sex and the City and it is almost, you know, it's completely impossible that anyone would write for television the same characters 25 years, but people have brought them back in different avenues, but no one has ever played a character for 25 years. No one, Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, and Kristen Davis have played characters from 34 to 56. It's unheard of and it's rare. And also in terms of why do the show, you know, when they were 34, society's uh, villainous drumbeat was get married. You're too old to not be married and you need to be in a couple and you're not okay if you're by yourself. So there was a reason to argue that. And here we are in 2023 and it's still society saying, you're not acting like an old person. You need to get in line. You better not go to a coffee in a giant tutu that goes to the floor for no reason. You better not. You better not think you, you better get it together. If you're 56, you better have it figured out. And look, nobody does because life changes constantly. And that's the fun of writing a show about life is it's a roller coaster. But people are still telling people not to be individuals. Always. And I love that now there is a conversation about what you even started this by talking about the sex. What kind of sex a 56-year-old person is allowed to have on TV. Is Carrie Bradshaw allowed to come down from her bathroom wearing a New York Times sweatshirt from the 80s and those legs and turn and see a guy, a built guy in a bed? And is LTW allowed? And the interesting thing about the flip, and we talked about this with the, with the actresses, they're the ones approaching. They're on the runway. They're in motion. And the guys are in bed waiting for them. That is a complete flip of what actresses have been asked to do in movies and television their entire careers. Um, that they are in bed waiting. And they're, they got the covers tucked up under their <laughs> nipples. And they're coquettish and they're the desired treat. And here they are, you know, coming in from their jobs or <laughs> their bathrooms or their bedrooms or their lives or their house in LA. And they're moving towards sex and they're all beautifully filmed and almost glorified by Tim Norman, our DP, because we're saying like, yeah, this is what it looks like now, society. This is possibility. This can be happening. Yeah, and it does, it, it, it's such a, 
a burst of energy and a breath of fresh air, especially for those who complained that season one was darker. And, you know, as you said, you broke Sex in the City in a way that for for me was incredibly powerful because it continues to be a love story in which, you know, the real loves of your life are your friends and the people who, oh. who, who are walking with you through this. But whereas Sex in the City was largely about the people who are walking with you as you look for love now it's it's that but it's also the people who are walking with you through loss because that is just an inevitable you know part of life uh more and more as we age and i mean the interesting thing about where we are now and you know your friends are you know it's miranda says that in the and the, the last episode of the series uh oh he big says you're the loves of her life. Everybody else just comes in second, right? Before Miranda says, go get our girl. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they are the loves of your life, even Charlotte said, why if we were each other's soulmates, right? So that's in play. And then the final, final, most important thought that I always thought about writing the series and the, the, the uber, uber core of everything. And that's why there'll always be a single person in Sex in the City. And there'll always be a single person. And just like that, Seema is looking for love still and defiantly going forward, despite all the shoots and ladders. But the thing that Carrie says in the last monologue in the series is the most significant, important relationship you will ever have is the one you have with yourself. And if you can find someone else who loves the you you love, well, that's just fabulous. And to me now, it's like still learning to love yourself. And this entire season is people sort of returning to themselves and saying, yeah, where did you go when I was doing all this stuff and falling in love with other people and thinking about your lives? What about my life? And what's good for me? And who am I now? And what can I change? And it starts off right in the first episode with Carrie saying, to Charlotte, life's too short to not try something new like poach an egg. But she's saying getting in bed with Franklin and not knowing where it's going to go or, you know, it's it's really to me. That's why Sex in the City has never been about couples. It's been about the individual loving themselves and hopefully somebody else loves that, too. And if it's your friends, you're really blessed. And if it's a significant person, wow, that's that's like three cherries in the slot machine that that's hard to find. And when you do, it's great, but then they can die. And as far as bringing the show back at all, and you said, we broke it. Look, if I hadn't, if I hadn't killed big and we tried to do the show, I would have killed sex in the city because it would have been dead on arrival. There would have been nothing to argue about. You would have been going, ugh, this again. Ugh. And the fact that it was like, no, no, I don't want this. This is different. I don't like this. This is, oh, there's Carrie. I see her. Okay. She's wearing a tutu into the green. Okay. I, okay. I'm happy now, but now I'm not happy. Now she's alone. I'm not happy. The active conversation kept it alive and the choices we made kept it alive. So big died the series and the Carries lived on. For whatever event or take people have on it, hot, cold, indifferent, rabid, 
it's alive and it's something that's kind of miraculous that we're still seeing these characters that I love and that people are connected to. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've, I've joked that big deserved to die, which I don't really think, although I do think there's an argument to be made that Carrie blaming herself, Charlotte blaming herself because of the way it went down. You know, he is the one who wasn't willing to go to Lily's recital. And even though. Oh, I know you. You're that's that thread. But, you know, when you say big deserve design, then I just have to ask you the other thing. And that is the big deal of season two. Did Carrie belong with Aiden instead? God, I, I don't think so. But I think that she I think I don't want to say that she um was destined to be single, but she is, you know, uh, doing this excavation that she wouldn't be doing without him. That is so like, she is well, the asker know, of, but... of questions. And like, I don't think she was, I, I have a theory that her marriage to big, while it was very happy, was a, played a big role in the rift between Carrie and Samantha, because I think oh that God. Carrie, you know, promised Samantha that, her getting married was not going to look like other marriages. And in some ways it didn't, but in some ways it, it did. Inevitably you do change. Inevitably you do start to put that person first in a way that I think Samantha kind of expected it of Charlotte. You know, Miranda had been with Steve for such a long time. Because she says, I, I, when that, when that, all that happened with Aiden, I put you in my never getting married file Yes, with me. Yes, And now I'm going to have to take you out of that file. And here we come with Aiden again, which is interesting because when we did the series sex in the city, it was a real split. I mean, you obviously are an outlier. You're an individual who's pushing for individual carry to be just realized by herself probably because you were born a gay man and never thought about a happy ending for yourself until recently. Uh, but the idea that most people think you must, you're, you're, I mean, that's the great thing about us. We get to have our own idea of where we'll wind up because we weren't programmed by society because that was not on the plate. Um, but most people thought Carrie Aiden, Carrie Aiden, Big carry, big carry. So there was a real split. And I would meet people. And if they say they love the show, I would say, I knew Carrier Aiden. I knew it was an Aiden and I knew who was a big. And I just knew it. So when Big died last year, in my mind, you know how you're doing all your work about Samantha and yeah. Carrie and Big. And then in my mind, we always said, uh, Charlotte said to Carrie, you only get. You, you get two great loves or you only get one and you've had two. So when one love dies in my mind, I was like, well, Carrie's Carrie knows that she's had another great love. So she's thinking in her mind, whether she's touching it or not, it doesn't matter. Aiden is in her mind. Aiden was in my mind. And when we started the season two, the first thing I knew one word Aiden, because I knew it would create an interesting energy. And it did when that got dropped that he was in energy good and bad oh my god i love aiden finally or oh what is she gonna hurt him again like the the split of the dialogue was really uh, thrilling but also i love the idea that their past was two pasts the first go around and then aiden 2.0 and then that didn't work so they have this love that is very complicated in the past. And so who they are in the present is interesting to me. And 
they haven't seen each other in 14 years, which was just a kiss. They haven't actually been in a relationship for 23 years. And they both had a life. And now they're going to meet again in the present. And so it was interesting to see what would happen in the future. Yeah. And that, you know, so often what got in between them, well, was, was Carrie's feelings for big, obviously, but also that uh, something about Aiden just being too available and, you know, the, we, I've done it so many times. I just I couldn't, could not reject somebody who loved me that full. I, I couldn't help but reject someone who loved me that fully yeah. because I wasn't there myself. And I thought that must speak well, to a flaw in you. Right. Well, Carrie had a very specific sort of under Carrie in her thirties had a very specific understanding of how love moves and it was elusive and you had to chase it and yeah. you couldn't get it. And then, but the funny thing about Carrie was she was right. You know, you know, you know, Liz Tachilla, who used to write Sex in the City, wrote that he's just not that into you book. And people were like, yeah, that's true. But if Carrie followed that, we wouldn't have had a big at all because he was just not that into her sometimes in theory and in practice. But she had a feeling and now she has a different feeling about what happened and she's left open. Um, Yeah, she had a feeling about how love felt and it wasn't the way it felt with Aiden which was comfortable and available and bucket of fried chicken on your lap in a bed. It was not that. That didn't feel like what she thought love was. So the question for me and for all of us writing it is, what does, and for Sarah Jessica playing it is, what does she feel love is now having lost a love? What does she need love to feel like? Yeah. And it's interesting. So many of the words you were just using to describe Aiden also describe Franklin. And, you know, is there a world where Franklin becomes the Aiden in our, you know, in, in the in the larger conversation and Aiden becomes the new big? Uh, look, Manhattan's a very curious place because you can run into people all the time. So, so conveniently that if I was writing it, I would go like, that could never happen. Why am I seeing that person at this party when they don't know anyone? And this is the one person I never called back and they're standing across from me. This is too written. So who knows what happens? But the reality is, I think the strong thing about Carrie in the first couple of episodes is her choosing her. And when she leaves that second episode, if you look at it again, or you maybe clocked it the first time, that lobby is filled with men. It's deliberate. We had pretty much a 75% men coming towards her. And one even turns around and checks her out as she leaves. So uh, the message is she freed up her week. So we'll see what that happens. But there's a lot of men in our universe. Are there men or women or anyone from the original universe that you haven't been able to bring back, to resurrect yet, that you would love to, given the chance for season three? Oh, I don't know. I mean, we got we got a lot of wonderful surprises this season, and we got Enid Frick back, Candace Bergen, who I love and have had history with, and I always loved Enid, her icy sort of. And it's a great storyline for her. And 
I mean, there are people that we're going to mention. You'll see, yeah. but it's it's uh, we have a lot of characters. It's a very unique show in that we're trying to thread, make a tapestry out of seven primary uh, different fabrics to make one big thing. And luckily, the actresses are so fascinating that you're like, okay, I'll spend time with them. That's fun. You know, this is not a spoiler, but there's a offhanded comment in an upcoming episode. Um, Carrie makes a joke about her mother. And when you were on Homophilia, we talked about the sort yeah. of phenomenon of, of of Carrie's invisible past and her family of origin and how it's yeah. intentionally unknown. How deliberate was that line and that moment? I think the joke was so good that it became the prominence of the moment. It wasn't uh, anything about what we're going to unveil. I, it was just a really good joke. And it's not such a specific statement that everybody couldn't relate to it. It's not like, my mother always wore white ermine and that's why I can't wear ermine. Like it's nothing specific. It's, it's really a, a general mom thought and I believed it to be true because I could see that that would be something that would happen to Carrie. It would probably make her as a kid more independent. But it's not like we're saying, get ready, yeah. because, I mean, I don't know what would yeah, have to happen. Talk about breaking sex in the city. I, don't, I cannot imagine. I mean, I don't know what would have to happen for me to suddenly find someone to write and someone to play Carrie Bradshaw's mother that would have to be, I would have to have been possessed yeah. by some other storyteller because I'm just like, nope. All, Who? Never. Although things have already happened that uh, people well, Matt, would not Please happen. don't manifest that. I don't want that. Don't that. So turn your powers of good away from that. I don't <laughs> want that storyline in the world. We don't please, need it. I agree. stop thinking about it even because you're powerful and you're, you have legions of energy behind you i know i'm with you I, we, I don't think we need that either uh i i've kept you for too long but i'm very very honored that you would do this uh it means the world and you know how much i love the show and how much it means to me and since i last Look. saw you it was you know at, at my wedding we did it, my wedding had a cold open and it was i'm sure luke told you all about it but um you did. yeah we had uh string quartet playing the theme song and for it was look yeah. here's the thing you put your money where your mouth is you know what i mean you said you love the show and you created you created a, a venue to talk about the show i think it's incredibly flattering in this landscape that anyone would devote any time speaking specifically to the story arcs that we're creating for your amusement I appreciate the energy and I really appreciate the respect. And I'm really happy that you like something we're all doing because we're really all doing it for you all. It's nice to do it for us as artists and we get to see each other. But, you know, if a show falls in the streaming series and it doesn't make a noise, does it exist? And uh, the fact that our show is dropping, you know, on the 22nd and that people will be maybe watching it makes all of it more fun for us. So thank you for having the balls to uh, name your podcast 
that combination of our show and your massive ego. <laughs> Can you believe? I mean, part of the... It's a very big flip to turn fandom into a narcissistic title, but good for you. That means you're a survivor, Matt. No one should worry about Matt. He can manifest and create and make the entire world about it him. It will be me and the cockroaches in the end. But, I, you know, the, the title does have a couple meetings because it, it's it's also, I'm also begging you to just like Matt, to simply like me, please. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. It's one of those great double, double things. And just like Matt, please, please. just like him. Please, I'm begging you. Literally, I'm officially over the airwaves begging you to like me. Well, you got to put it out there, Matt, and hopefully it'll happen for you. Oh, I think having you on as my first guest is going to go a long way in getting those likes. Oh, my God. Thank you. Well, trust me, it's great. And I'm really excited to hear what you and your, I guess, bridesmaids have to say (laughs) about, about our little show about aging and fun and sex and style and beauty and friendship. I'm really happy that you're doing it with your friends to talk about our friendships. Cause that's really, you don't have to have a boyfriend. You don't have to have a lady friend. You don't have to have a lover. You don't even have to have a husband or wife, but you know, if you have someone that cares about you, then you have something really rare. Thank you so much, Michael Patrick King. Matt, you know where to find me luck. if you'd like to come back. Uh, just saying. Uh, you know, maybe I'll come back at the end when it when we can really talk about what happened. Oh because God. trust me, you're going to have a lot of thoughts about what happens in the episodes you haven't yet yeah, seen. A lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings. I can't wait. Yeah. I cannot wait. That's what's better than that. Television that gives you thoughts and feelings. I, 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 I may let you go, but that does make me wonder if, I mean... Are, are you in any way, in retrospect, grateful for the leak? Because people would have been talking about this anyway without, you know, any knowledge of that. But it did take the, I don't know, the energy around this season to a whole new height. I mean, uh, if you're talking lemons out of lemonades, the, the the greatest thing would have been if you were surprised. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about the leak is it sort of framed it correctly. That it was a, 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 it was one scene. It was a phone call. So everybody has their expectations landed. They know it's not, you know, bigger than one scene. So everybody's sort of the, that's the silver lining of the dark cloud of the leak is that people know exactly what size chef's kiss they're getting. Yes what little treat they're getting and they're not getting, I mean, the whole show is a giant banquet this year and it's like, life's a banquet. Please come. You're invited. And you know, that Samantha's one course or a chef's kiss of a moment. So yeah, there is a little bit of a silver lining, but that's only spoken like someone who is desperate to make silver linings out of dark clouds. (laughs) (laughs) To uh, repurpose your pain, you know, that's, Exactly. Thank you, Matt. And Just Like Matt is a WOW podcast production created and hosted by me, Matt McConkie. Our executive producer is Renee Colbert. If you've got a burning question about a relationship or friendship problem, or really anything Sex in the City adjacent, just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at andjustlikematt at gmail.com, and I'll answer your question on the show with my very fancy guests. 